Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network. And today's episode is going to be a little bit of a smorgasbord for you guys. Reactions from rookie minicamp. I wanted to talk a little bit about Washington signings of Trey Turner and Alex Erickson. The Giants just released James Bradbury about an hour ago at time of this recording. So I wanted to get in right away and talk a little bit about rookie minicamp. Now, some teams have yet to have rookie minicamps. Washington was one of the first team to hold, you know, to hold their camp. And first reactions off it were to see, you know, you're not going to see too much, but be able to see Jahan Dotson move around with the other guys. Sam Howell throwing the ball down the field. Fedarian Mathis getting some work in. Saw some videos on Washington's social feeds of Brian Robinson working through the bags and running through tacklers and different things like that. And first reactions, obviously, are it's non-contact. So you're not going to see, you know, be able to see Brian Robinson picking up pass blockers and doing some pass pro stuff or Jahan working one-on-one against William Jackson or Kendall Fuller, like we'll be able to see here in the next few weeks when we get into OTAs and down the road into training camp. But it's a nice first glimpse into Washington's rookie class, who they got, guys that they brought in as UDFAs as well, Cole Kelly, Jaquez Azar, two guys I talked about on the last pod when I recapped Washington's full draft class and the two UDFAs that I was excited about and continue to be excited about, even you know seeing them at rookie minicamp and we also saw some of those pictures that of Cole Kelly standing next to Sam Howell and just absolutely dwarfing um, you know the Carolina quarterback that Washington selected in the first pick of the fifth round big six foot seven kid out of southeastern Louisiana former Arkansas transfer I'm extremely excited to see him progress and his skills develop under Scott Turner and working alongside Sam Howell and Carson Wentz but rookie minicamp is just kind of a you know, the fuse, if you will, to the firework of what's to come down, you know, down the next few weeks and into the next few months of camp and ultimately into the preseason and regular season as these guys compete for snaps. Wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's future bets. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code, Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. It's an exciting time to be a commanders fan it's still weird to say that you know for you guys out there that have been burgundy and gold faithful for the longest time i would just rather say washington or burgundy and gold commanders is still hard to get used to after changing the name um, from what it was to football teams and now commanders it's gonna take some time to get used to even though i know you know jason wright and and rivera uh, are doing their darndest to you know involve you guys out there, season ticket holders, holding events, you know, at FedEx Field, around the community, out at Ashburn. Um, you know, it's going to take some time as far as the commanders. But one thing is for sure, and one thing I wanted to address is 
the jerseys and the helmets specifically and seeing those flash um, under the lights of the bubble out at Ashburn this weekend was really a sight to see. And Washington has always had some of the best helmets and best uniforms in football. And maybe that's a biased opinion, but I, I, you know, I don't think it is. I think when you look around the league and the history of the league and how long Washington's franchise has been around and the uniforms that they've had, it is a nice, beautiful sight to see with the the burgundy and the the gold W on the side of the helmet. At first, I know a lot of you guys were skeptical. It didn't fit the mold of the team. It was kind of edgy. It was a twitchy logo. It didn't mesh well. But when you see those things, you know, we looked at Jahan Dotson and saw that nice Oakley visor that he had on with it. It's super clean. It's going to mesh well with the jerseys. I'm really interested to see that black-on-black combo that they got when they're going to debut this year. I'm sure that may even debuted. I've been hearing that they may debut that jersey potentially in a primetime game, whether it's a Monday night or a Thursday night or a Sunday night divisional game. That would be awesome, you know, really pump you up and, and just, just some new things to get excited about with the rookies in, in the building getting some work in. You got the jerseys flying or the helmets flying around. They look good under the lights and it's getting you excited for the season, getting us all excited, not just for, for Washington's year, but the NFL as a whole. And, you know, it's a 24-7, 365 business, and, and we all know that. Now that the draft's over and completed, it's time to get these guys in pads, time for these rosters to glue together, to mesh, to jigsaw, and be able to look at that final 53 potentially in these next few months that Washington's going to establish and put them up against the other NFC East teams and getting that first glimpse of the rookies out there, seeing them move, you know, on NFL-branded turf for the first time is it's exciting. Um, so I wanted to transition in now past the rookies and to some guys, to the vets that Washington signed over the last few days. And Trey Turner, guard that, that came over from Pittsburgh, formerly of the Chargers and formerly of the Carolina Panthers. And then Alex Erickson, who spent some time recently with the Bengals and then obviously with Carolina as well. And with Trey Turner, I know I talked a little bit about him on the last pod, but as of right now, he's the right guard. And it's been a long topic of, was Wes Schweitzer going to start at right guard? Was it going to be potentially Sadiq Charles working into that role? Because as we know, when Washington drafted Charles out of LSU, it was looked upon as, hey, he's going to be potentially our swing tackle. When they drafted him initially, it was like, hey, could he be the replacement for Trent Williams? Obviously, it didn't happen. Not even close, right? But him being potentially as a depth swing guard right now, behind Schweitzer. You drafted Chris Paul out of Tulsa late on day three. So now you have some depth there. But Trey Turner with five Pro Bowls under his belt, 28 years old, more veterans along that front five for Carson Wentz to work behind. I think he's going to be an excellent addition, especially if he's able to stay healthy. And he played 17 games last year. So there's absolutely no reason unless there's a random, you know, Curtis Samuel injury Kind of, you know, we, we, Curtis Samuel last year was an injury that lingered from the 2020, you know, 2020 year, the COVID year into the off season of last year. It didn't really just kind of spark up out of nowhere and groin that held him out most of the year. Um, that was something that I knew specifically of prior to last year that, that was lingering for Curtis Samuel. But for Trey Turner, he's healthy. He's 100%. He's 28 years old and he's got Pro Bowls under his belt, like I've said, and there's tons of experience up front in the interior. And then now that interior three with 
You got a new addition at left guard, Andrew Norwell from Jacksonville that they brought over after losing Brandon Sheriff to the Jaguars. You got Chase Roulier back at center, fully healthy. And now you got Trey Turner at right guard. And that's a heck of an interior group. And Washington gets back their Trey Turner guy, especially after losing national shortstop Trey Turner out to the Dodgers. Trey Turner's now back in Washington, if you will, at right guard. So want to go from there to Alex Erickson, wide receiver slash punt returner. Now, I talked a little bit on last episode about that DeAndre Carter role. Who was going to fill that? They lost DeAndre Carter. They lost Adam Humphreys. Who was kind of going to step up that role? It's I can't envision Dax Milne right now kind of filling that role. And I talked about Jaquez Azard, the UDFA out of Sam Houston State that competed at rookie minicamp. It looked well, looked smooth, looked fast, everything we expected. But obviously, things are going to change when you get pads on. But... For Alex Erickson, a veteran in this league, a familiar face for Ron Rivera, someone that right now looks to immediately fill that DeAndre Carter role as a primary punt returner, primary kick returner, and someone that could come in and you know catch potentially three, four balls a game for you on offense if needed with that necessary experience and NFL snaps under his belt. So two offseason, you know, final wave of free agency additions that Washington made that may, you know, especially with Erickson, may or may not have a major impact. Someone could outwork him. He could be, you know, a a cut uh, working into, you know, the final cuts and later in summer, especially considering the amount of pop that Washington does have at the wide receiver spot with four immediate locks, you'd think, you know, supreme locks with McLaurin and Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson. Those are four locks for the roster right now. So for Erickson, he's going to be a primary special teams guy and potentially getting some reps in the slot uh, on offense as a target for Carson Wentz. But I also wanted to transition into James Bradbury, who's just cut by the New York Giants about an hour ago, and his fit, potentially, if he were to sign in Washington. Now, though, this a lot may change here in the next 24 hours before this pod comes out, to release to you guys. He may be a Washington commander. He may be somewhere else. Uh, you know, and he may sign soon. But as of right now, all we can do is speculate. And it's not hard to bring the tea leaves together. And that James Bradbury has connections to Ron Rivera. Rivera drafted him in Carolina in the second round when he came out of Sanford in 2016 when Ron Rivera was obviously head coach there. And it was rumored that James Bradbury wanted to come to Washington in 2020. So you look at James Bradbury and his skill set, pro bowler, potentially had I thought he was going to be an all-pro last year, excuse me, in 2020. An elite corner, boundary corner, can do everything in the run game, come up, make tackles, not afraid to stick his his face in the mud. And then somebody that can cover a wide receiver one any day of the week and shut them down. And then you project him into Washington's defense, and you already have a veteran in William Jackson. You have Kendall Fuller, who they were interested in potentially kicking the inside. And you look at his success, even in his first stint in Washington, he was Kendall Fuller was successful in the slot. That's where he was best. And quick feet, ability to get his hands on guys, reroute them, be physical through the point of contact, get some TFLs for you, make some plays on the outside if you need. But you had James Bradbury on one side, you got William Jackson on the other side, who was Washington's best corner last year, which they expected him to be as their prized free agent addition. Now you had Bradbury on the other side and William Jackson doesn't have to travel. Kendall Fuller can now slide to the inside. And you look at Washington's depth right now at corner, 
And where does that leave Benjamin St. Just, a third-round corner they took out of Minnesota last year? Big six foot three kid. There were some rumors last year that he could have played the Buffalo nickel role. That may be a spot that Ron Rivera could see him playing right now with Landon Collins as a post-June first cut. So there's a lot of things up in the air if Brad Berry were to come to Washington. And the biggest thing about that is you look at the New York Giants and a team obviously right now that declined Daniel Jones's fifth-year option. They were 30th before cutting James Bradbury as far as in team spending and getting rid of him. It's not like they didn't have the money to pay him or to, you know, to re-up or agree on a new deal and a contract extension. But that's a team that is looking forward towards a rebuild for the next two, three, four years, potentially. So you get James Bradbury here, whether you're paying him a hefty amount of money like you did William Jackson, or you're getting him here on a deal potentially because he has those prior years of experience with Ron Rivera then that could be an ideal fit, especially in the division where, as it looks right now, where it's going to be a top-heavy race, potentially, where you could see the Eagles, Cowboys, and Commanders all battling for the crown in the NFC East come you know the turn of the new year. So you look at a guy like James Bradbury, William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice as a corner that can play a little bit of, of that hybrid role, Buffalo nickel. He can slot in on the outside in case of injury, you know, knock on wood. But James Bradbury in D.C. with a guy that has a ton of juice left, has a Pro Bowl under his belt. He knows Ron Rivera. D.C. is a large market, just like New York is. All those things kind of tie together. And then you have that guy on the back end as another vet within that Washington defense because you already know who's on the front seven. We all know the names. We all expect them to be dominant uh, You know, this year. They weren't dominant in 2021. They were dominant in 2020. But with Chase Young healthy, Montez Sweat back, Deron Payne in a massive, massive, massive year, especially after drafting Fedarian Mathis in the second round, which could be an eye-opener for him. They re-upped John Allen. All these names along the front seven – and you add a guy like James Bradbury on the back end as kind of that glue guy opposite of William Jackson with him not having to travel and cover guys like Devonta Smith. The Eagles added A.J. Brown. CeeDee Lamb is still in Dallas. They re-upped Michael Gallup coming off an ACL injury. They franchise tagged Dalton Schultz at the tight end spot. You can never have enough corners. That could even come into play with Benjamin St. Juice and guarding guys like Dalton Schultz in Dallas as a bigger tight end potentially, but in a wide receiver mold and ability to do everything for that Dallas offense. Or guys like Zach Pascal, who the Eagles took from Indianapolis in free agency, a guy that's going to be able to work in the slot and outside, but as a wide receiver three behind A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, that depth would help immediately. So you have your two guys in Jackson and Bradbury. Obviously, it's a perfect fit. I don't want to get too you know, flashbacks of the Vinny Serrato days as GM in Washington where he's signing any name. You know, we look back to the days of Albert Hainsworth, Adam Archuleta, OJ Atagwe. The names go on and on. Jason Taylor. They were in the running. I know you guys, this is flashback, but Namdi Asamoah. You know, Washington, any big free agent or any name Washington was always tied to. That's not how Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney run business. That's not how they conduct shop, right? So, but Bradbury, you can't deny the fit, you can't deny the tea leaves with Ron Rivera and the success that he could potentially have in this defense. And then to wrap things up here, I wanted to look ahead a little bit with Thursday's official schedule being released. Now we'll hear rumors, we'll hear leaks. 
Um, if any of you guys have been following me the last year or so, I was able um, you know, to break a lot of Washington's games with my sources inside the building um, early before the schedule came out. But wanted to look forward and, and look at Washington's schedule this year, and it's expected to be the easiest schedule of opponents, slate of opponents, on paper. Now we know that can change. Every year there's a cycle of teams that digress or they improve, but looking at Washington's opponents right now, obviously you have the NFC East opponents. They'll host Dallas, Philly, and New York, and then they'll travel to each of those teams as well. But you host the Green Bay Packers, you host the Vikings, Jaguars, Titans, Browns, and Falcons. Now that's a tough slate of opponents. You look at Cleveland, they have Deshaun Watson, Tennessee. Now, I think Tennessee is a team that will digress this year. They lost A.J. Brown. They're up in the air right now with Ryan Tannehill's future. I think that's a scenario where we could see Malik Willis, who they drafted out of Liberty, potentially taking over him. I would not be surprised by the middle of the season. Um, I may be That may be a hot take, but you look at Malik Willis' talent, you look at Ryan Tannehill, you look at that loaded AFC, you're going to need guys who compete. And Malik Willis, from a talent standpoint, blows Ryan Tannehill out of the water. But you look at that game, that could be a matchup if it's later in the year of a Carson Wentz versus Malik Willis battle. Then you look at Cleveland, like I said, with Deshaun Watson. They're boosted up, right? You have Deshaun Watson in the building now. Now, a lot to, you know, remains to be seen off the field and clarified whether he's actually able to play. But as of right now, he's slated to start week one for Cleveland. Then you host Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. It almost seems like Washington plays the Packers every single year. But they get to host him this time instead of going to Lambeau. And then you get to host Kirk Cousins, which I'm expecting from what I've I've heard a couple of rumors on is that that Washington-Minnesota game at FedEx may be a primetime matchup because of Kirk Cousins' return to Washington. That's going to be a heck of a matchup. I think that's a winnable game for Washington. I don't think Minnesota by any means is someone that no, they're going to be a two-man race in the NFC North along with the Packers for that division crown again this year with the Bears and Lions obviously in rebuilds. But Kirk Cousins back in D.C., there's obviously going to be a ton of juice with that matchup. But, you know, Kirk in town, guys going to be juiced up. That's potentially, I could see Washington winning that game. And then you host Atlanta. Whether it's Marcus Mariota at quarterback or Desmond Ritter at quarterback, that's You'd expect Washington to win that football game. Now, we know obviously over the years when you look at other teams and you see Washington on the schedule and they go, that's a winnable game. And for Washington, you can't get, I'm going to get over our heels, right? But Atlanta should be a winnable game. You host Jacksonville, you'd think that's a winnable game. Now, they're going to be improved. Doug Peterson in his first year, Trevor Lawrence is going to improve. I like what they did. On defense in the draft, they added Trayvon Walker out of Georgia with a top overall pick. They drafted Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, two linebackers, Lloyd out of Utah and Muma out of Wyoming, as two athletic front seven defenders. They already signed Foye Olakun from the Falcons, so they have a supremely athletic front seven along with guys like Josh Allen and Kalevin Chason already there, Dwayne Smoot in the middle. So, the Jaguars, I feel like, aren't going to be a slouch. Now, are they going to compete with the Colts and Titans for an AFC South crown this year? No. But could I see them winning potentially five, six games, seven games? 100%, especially with Doug Peterson at the helm. So don't overlook that Jacksonville game as a game that Washington you know, is, an, is an easy game. And it's a you know look over your opponent and all of a sudden you're in the second quarter and you're down 14 to Trevor Lawrence and giving him confidence. So let's transition over 
to the away games, obviously, Dallas, Philly, New York. You travel, they will travel to Chicago, travel to Detroit, the Colts, 49ers, and the Texans. Definitely a on paper easier slate of opponents than who they'll host. And if, even if Washington right now, you look at the East and say they beat the Giants twice, they beat the Eagles once, they beat Dallas once. That's four and two in the division. And I think that put them in a nice spot to potentially win nine, 10 games this year, obviously being optimal scenario here where they put themselves not only in a position for if they don't win the East to be in a wild card spot, or if they do win the East to be in a good spot um, come playoff time. But Chicago Bears, I think you're going to win that game, right? They still have yet to put anything around Justin Fields and Chicago is a heck of a talent out there for the Bears. New system, Matt Eberflus is now their offensive, you know, their head coach there. So that's a winnable game. Detroit Lions, full rebuild. I absolutely love what Dan Campbell is doing in Detroit, but Jared Goff just, it doesn't move the needle for me. I like their roster. They were arguably one of the best, worst teams last year uh, at times. Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, the GM. Yeah, Campbell's coaching his tail off all year long. They're competitive in every single game, it seems like. So they're not going to be a slouch, especially traveling to Detroit. They're going to be able to, you know, their community's going to be out. They drafted Aiden Hutchinson. Now they're going to be that Ford Field, even though you don't look at Ford Field as a home field advantage in the NFL from an opponent standpoint. But the Lions are a team that will compete their tail off. Aiden Hutchinson now in the building. They like him on St. Brown. They got they brought in DJ Chark. They drafted Jamison Williams. Those are some young pieces that Detroit is going to be able to work from as a foundation. So that will be no slouch as far as going to Detroit and expecting a win without a doubt. So then you go to Indianapolis. You know, uh, a uh, homecoming for Carson Wentz, if you will. Carson Wentz versus Matt Ryan, potential matchup. They have Jonathan Taylor. Um, and they, I like that the pieces that they added on offense, they drafted Jelani Woods at tight end to pair with Moali Cox. For any of you basketball fans out there, if that name sounds familiar, Moali Cox was a former basketball standout at VCU down in Richmond. And they drafted Alec Pierce, big 6'3 kid out of, out of Cincinnati. They already have Michael Pittman, 6'4 out of USC. I'm writing an article actually on that later in the week about the NBA-like size that the Colts have for Matt Ryan to use at their disposal. Completely a vertically imposing group of pass catchers. But that is a winnable game. I think the Colts are a good team. Like I said, they will challenge, if not win, the AFC South this year. You got to always deal with Jonathan Taylor. But you got the front seven that Washington has and what they expect to have with the names that I've already mentioned and mentioned every single podcast you expect to limit or at least hold Jonathan Taylor to under 110, 120 yards. You just don't want to have one of those seemingly Saquon Barkley-esque games that he always has against Washington where he goes for 180, 190, or two bills where he has you know two or three rushing touchdowns. Can't afford to do that. You know, If you have to plug the box, you have to force Matt Ryan to throw it 30, 35 times to Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce and Mo Cox. Do that, right? So, But the Colts, that's a battle. 49ers, who the hell knows what the 49ers are doing at quarterback. They drafted Trey Lance in third overall last year. There's still rumors that they're not satisfied with Trey Lance's development or if he's going to be the answer there in the future. Jimmy Garoppolo is still yet to be traded. Who knows what they're going to do with him, whether he starts week one, whether it's Lance. If it's Lance, I think he's got all the talent in the world to become a potential top 10, 12, 13 quarterback 
in this league in due time and above average guy. He can do everything from an arm, you know, arm talent standpoint. He's got dual threat ability. But what are they going to do with Debo Samuel? Is he gone? Then you have to slot in Brandon Ayuk, and they drafted Danny Gray out of SMU late on day three in the, in the fifth round as a guy that may be wide receiver too if Debo Samuel were to leave. So that's a team, with you look at San Francisco, where on paper from last year, obviously, you know, they had some major success. They made it to the NFC title game and ultimately lost to the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. But that's a team right now that's kind of up in the air, and you potentially expect Washington to go out to San Fran as their farthest road trip this year, expected right now, unless Washington has an international game, which don't seemingly think that they will have, um, as a game that they can win. And then the Houston Texans, and that's a win. It's a win. The Houston Texans do not have an NFL roster right now. Davis Mills is expected to start a quarterback. They shouldn't have fired David Culley last year as their head coach. It's Lovey Smith now running the joint down in Houston. Nick Casario is GM. I think they made some nice additions in the draft. Kenyon Green, Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie drafted Damian Pierce to be their RB1, the running back out of Florida. So there's some pieces there, but those are all rookies. And you can't expect five, six, seven rookies to ultimately sway the needle to compete at the NFL level right now. Now, those are pieces that five, six years down the road or potentially within two, three years where like guy like Stingley could be a premier CB1 and Damian Pierce could kind of have a career I envision like Damian Harris has had in New England as kind of that bowling ball, but that a little bit above average agility and speed to sneak through the second level of the defense. So they have some pieces there, right? But they got to fix the quarterback position. I'm not sure if Lovey Smith, the head coach, will be the answer there. That's the 100%. If there's any game on this game on this schedule that Washington is expected to win, it would be the Houston Texans. So that's going to do it for today's episode. Like I said, a little bit of a smorgasbord for you guys. A little recap of rookie minicamp. Talk a little bit about Trey Turner, Alex Erickson, and potentially the ad of James Bradbury. And then a preview of Washington's opponents, both home and away, and what we can expect when the schedule is released on Thursday evening. But as always, wanted to thank you guys for tuning in. You can find me on social media, on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. You can find the pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us. Again, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a good next couple days of your week. The weather's finally starting to improve. It was raining its tail off the last few days. It's nice to see some sun. Rookie minicamp just finished up. We're looking you know, ahead and over the horizon into OTAs, when the veterans report, and into training camp. It's an exciting time to be a Burgundy and Gold fan. And again, as always, thank you guys for tuning in, and I will talk to you next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.